Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. For last orders at the dockside, playing out in the Abbey stage, I asked writer Neve Gleeson to take over at the helm for a series of mini podcasts about life in the docks. You won't hear Neve's voice within these recordings. We decided to let the dockers and the docker's daughter do the talking. And talk they do. About a way of life of a time gone by. Of hardship, of friendship, of family and friction. All the good, the bad, the long and the short of it. Enjoy this podcast. Uh, my name is John Walsh. I've, uh, I've worked on the docks from 1963 or thereabouts to, 19, to 2009. A total of 46 years. I was born and reared in Sheriff Street. Grew up mostly in Cabra and now reside in uh, Rohini. All of my family were from around the Sheriff Street uh, area and most of them worked on the docks. My name being John uh, wouldn't be recognised by anyone who worked on the docks because you don't go by your own name, you go by your father's name, if you, in particular if you take his button. So uh, my name, I'd be more recognisable as Miley Walsh. Uh, my first day in the docks was a disaster from the point of view of being a so-called intelli- intelligent docker. Um, I stood in a raid and got a job uh, more or less on my father's name because I got his button. It was uh, I'd never been there before. I had only heard stories. I was told on the morning what to do, uh, stand in the raid and wait until the foreman calls any more buttonmen. And that entitles me to hand in my cards and be employed. But it also meant that I was supposed to be clever and know where the ship was. I didn't know where the ship was. So when a raid was finished, it was like um, rats or mice disappearing. And I was left with just one guy to, uh, that I knew got employed directly after me. So he was guaranteed to be in the same gang as me. So I decided to follow him and he went home for a hook and I followed him into a block of flats where he turned around and said to me, have you been following me? And I said, yes, I have. Uh, I didn't know where the ship was. If you can imagine, I was in the middle of a block of flats looking for a ship. There's never been one before and I never will again. Um, it was a great, a great start, but the type those men were, he uh, not only did he not laugh at me, but he took me under his wing and he, uh, for the next two days he taught me how to sling bags. Uh, he educated me in a very, very quick manner and uh, efficient manner. And we were friends for life after that. He was a fantastic character. It's a, it's a skillful job. If, if you have, for instance, uh, cocoa beans from Cadbury's, those bags are 12 stone. And dockers were very, very quick with their hands. So if you didn't become as quick as the man you're working with, you're expecting to lift six ton. If you both lift at one time, you lift six ton. If he lifts quicker than you, he's lifting three ton, you're lifting nine ton. And you're not gonna last for a whole day uh, doing that. So you have to be as quick, you have to learn very, very quick. Um, They were excellent at teaching people. A lot of them wouldn't have had great results in school, but they were very, very clever amazingly clever um, and he dug a hole in in the, the lot of bags in such a way as to hop down and instead of 
picking up bags from underneath your feet all day and lifting them up, they would now be lifting the bags but throwing them down, not lifting anything. So uh, there's a system of work and it has to be learned very, very quickly by kids who are my age at the time. Um, um, they, they, they spent their time with you, uh, first day, second day, but after that, you better know. Because uh, they would, as punishment for not learning quick enough, they would crucify you. Great characters now, but they would crucify you. My recollection is I was 16 to 16 and a half, and my mother um, was the one that insisted on me going to the docks because my father had taken sick. At the time, there was in place a system called the button, the hand-me-down system. And it meant that I could go onto the docks in his place and take his place and get employed by friends of his or relations of his um, at the same rate of pay that he was on. And he was 20-something years working there. I hadn't done a day, but I was equal to him, uh, equal to every other buttonman, if, if you could call it that. So it was a no-brainer for the family uh, because I was an only boy. We had three, three girls and myself, um, and um, there was no money coming in. So I wasn't the only one. There, there were hundreds like that. In some cases, there were family rows over the button. You can imagine a family with four boys. You know, we had only one. There was no question who was going down the docks with the button. Uh, but a family who had four, and the eldest boy would have gone off and got married, maybe. There's no point in giving him the button. Um, and I, I kind of always dwell on this, but there were, there were very fair things about the button. There was very unfair things about them. So in the case like the four sons, the mother often got the choice of who the button would go to, even though it would create an argument with the the father because he might have promised the button to the eldest son um, but that's not going to feed the family and there were hard times there was very little in the way of social welfare that he could go on the sick and stuff like that so it was, it was a case that you had it in your own hands to let the eldest son still living at home go and earn his, his uh, the father's wages Grew up kind of sheltered uh, from the docks, and uh, so far we were born. I was born in Sheriff Street, and it, any time that I adventured down the docks, my father would tell me, "Keep away, it's too dangerous." So, uh, but by the time I got to the age where you start thinking about going to work, or secondary in education, um, the idea started to come into my head that uh, this is what I wanted to do because it was such an exciting type of work. It was um, every time you, you saw a group of men working at the ship, it's like, it's like as though there were hundreds of them. Because there wasn't just dockers working at the ship. There would be carters or uh, carriers, haulage contractors, all that. And uh, the, if it would be a timber boat, you had thousands of men from the timber yards. Because all the timber was loose and we would pack it into stacks they would unstack it and bundle it and wrap it with wire, uh, the way you see it coming now. Um, but that was a whole other workforce. So the, 
The place was alive with people walking, busy running here, there and everywhere, and bogeys. Oh, it was an amazing place to see for a, for a young lad. You just couldn't wait to get down there. Plus, the money was reasonably good. Um, I earned on my first day, I think more than my friends earned in a week. So, um, it was, I probably picked the best time to go down the docks. Two types of bogey, a two-wheel bogey was for the, the timber with long shafts and the timber would be landed on it. It would uh, be two uh, struts, what we call for um, balancing it. And uh, you held, when the, the heist of timber was uh, landed across it, you, it was like a, a longish wheelbarrow type of thing. And you only lift one end of it. Uh, someone would hold a strap to stop the, the, the timber falling over and you brought it to the, to the heap and you stacked it. And you're doing that all day, going back and forth from the ship. Um, there was a four-wheel bogey, um, which would be a flat truck with a, an axled uh, front two wheels and a, a three and a half to four foot long handle for steering. And with be three men on that, you would land your heist, which is, as I said about the rope or trays, a ton to a ton and a half. You would land that on the flat uh, truck and uh, push it from the shed or from the ship into the shed, and then stack it in uh, in its reed, as we would call it. If it was um, uh, boxes of, it could be anything. Like Phillips had a lot of electrical gear, and there were. Uh, it had to be done in numbers, so uh, it was time-consuming work. You also had to be back in time from the shed to the ship when your next heave came out, because the gang consisted of six men inside and a singer out, and uh, you had three trees um, on bogies, two tiers and possibly two toppers. They stayed in the in the shed, but the the, the, the nine men on the bogies pull the cargo in and out. And uh, if the stuff was light, you worked very hard because you got, um, you had to get 96 tonne before you got any extra bonus. Uh, so there's an awful lot of carrying and running with stuff. Plus you have to be, as I said, back when the next heist comes out. If not, you're causing the drag, as they would call it. The, the drag is on you and you never get it off you. Um, it means you're late for your heist. You're never getting a breather. The other guys will be back quicker. They're, they're getting a little bit of a rest, looking at you, sweating, running. You had to know exactly what you were doing. Because there was ways, uh, as I said, they taught you very well. Um, because ultimately, if they didn't teach you, the, a lot of the, the flack would fall back on them. Because they're not earning, earning a bonus with you and the gang. We used to refer to it as an asylum run by the inmates. There were no safety measures in so far as uh, anybody could walk over to a ship side and stand around uh, spectating, having a look. You would never see a docker stand underneath the heist because they had a saying, nothing falls up. So, um, and they're constantly shouting over your head. Over your head means look up and you'll see whatever is falling off the crane. Um, a kid, on the other hand, passing by, just being curious and having a look, wouldn't, wouldn't know any of those things. Uh, so he's, he's, uh, 
he's in the way of the bogies, he's in the way of the heists, and if, it, if a heist of timber came down to a strap breaking or something like that, maybe they overloaded it, it would spread out like confetti. It's absolutely incredible the amount of acreage it covers. And uh, any, any child standing around in that is most definitely going to get hurt. And then like, later on, as the place became mechanised, there were so many trucks and forklift trucks going around you, you'd want to have eyes in the back of your head. So again, you had to sort of come up to the level of cleverness to keep uh, three gangs at a ship. You stayed in your area, outside your hatch. You didn't move to the other area because you're putting your own life in danger. And again, the stuff is coming out of the ship faster because of forklift trucks and it's palletized. So you've got to be quicker, more clever, um, more alert, stay alive. <laughs> oh, there was loads of doctors who never drank. Um, fellas would be, some of them actually tried to uh, get you to, um, several of them tried to get you to uh, become pioneers and stuff. It's like every other job. Every job has opposites. Um, it's just that the culture with the drink um, came about, I suppose, because there were little or no facilities. There were two pubs along the, the near the, on the north wall called Campions and Connors at the time. And uh, we had approximately 100, 150 to 160 men working on those. There were timber boats. And it rained, absolutely torrential rain. Those 150 men had to go somewhere. So both, the, both those pubs did a fantastic um, bottle of, or a, a mug of Bovril and a, a cheese and cracker. So when my first time in there, that's what I had. But the other fellas were old enough to make their own mind uh, and uh, older than my dad. So they would have their points, they're well able for their points, so they would have a few points in the hope that the rain is going to uh, stop. And the minute it did, the farmer would be in, hunting them out. It, it, with coal, the fellas who dug the coal, that was a fiercely hard job. They needed to, I suppose, get the dust off their chest. I'm not making an excuse for anyone drinking, uh, it's everyone's choice. But they found it, uh, it was the best way of getting, coping with the dirt. Uh, the place was filthy year round, whether it be coal or uh, sand, um, all of the cargoes. I mean, we had stuff like carbon black that was, um, uh, it's like, it'd be like pouring ink over yourself. And you couldn't get, you couldn't get, the, just, uh, you had cargoes like fish meal. And if you go upstairs in the bus, everyone went downstairs. And then uh, the soda ash, it was white. And uh, if, you, if you were claiming dirty money, the company would try and tell you this was clean dirt. So there was a huge um, different commodities. Uh, you didn't know, from day to day, you didn't know what you were going into. So no overalls supplied, no hard uh, steel toe cap boots, no helmets. They didn't even issue you with a hook for lifting timber or bags. You had to provide those yourself. Everything you, you had to provide, you, you provided yourself. The companies had little or no compassion for them. 
Uh, I had an uncle that went blind from uh, cold pitch and uh, rumour has it, I'm not, not certain of this, whether it's a fact or not, but he was rumoured to have got 50 uh, pounds. Uh, it was it was pounds at the time. Um, I'm not sure if that's true. I would believe it. But the ordinary Joe Soap getting hurt and uh, getting sick, they had little or nothing. That's why the button system was uh, designed uh, to take them out of the the, the the hole that they got themselves into. And uh, you get a son that would end, um, earn the money for the family. But little or nothing from the company. The f one of the first things I noticed about that particular system, um, they did it themselves. If there was a man out sick, he would only go. He would only be sick a certain amount of time, and then there was a collection every Thursday. Thursday being payday, there was a collection organised by one of his friends, but it had to be vetted by the park committee or one of the committees at the time. You couldn't just go and have a collection for someone who needed the price of a few drinks. It had to be someone genuinely sick. It would be, say, my father's turn today. It would be your father's turn to, uh, next Thursday. And there was a list up. Some of them uh, would get a second one if they were out for a long time. But generally, there was an awful lot of money on it. It would keep them going for quite a while. Rivalry and camaraderie at the same time. Insofar as the the river divides uh, more than the docks, it divides the people. So, they if you had um, if you had the figures for a ring's ender getting a collection, um, and he got say a hundred pounds, the next collection being for say a man from Sheriff Street, they'd want to go hundred and one. You know, and it was it was terrific because. It was always, it was always there in print for you to see, who's the who's the more generous. Um, but they were they were very very good for each other. They looked after each other very very well. The the busyness, the the fact that every single day was totally different to the day before. You leave the house at six in the morning, and um, you you'd get a bus down. Even today, my missus would say to me, "Why are you going so early?" And we always had this saying, better to be 10 minutes early than five minutes late. Because if you're five minutes late for a raid, the ship is manned up. There's no job. So you have to be early. That goes through the rest of your life. You, you've never changed with that. It's dictated everything that I've done since I left the docks. But when you go down there, you're going down not knowing what you're going to be working at. You could be working at coal. You could be working timber. Uh, bags for Cadbury's, bags for Paul and Vincent's, uh, anything. And it's not known by one o'clock whether you're going home at five o'clock, six o'clock, eight o'clock or ten o'clock. So you're out of the house from six in the morning. You might be working till ten o'clock at night if the ship is finishing. And the next day you're starting from scratch again. Every single day was totally different. You, you, it was impossible to get bored. Even on the days when you uh, when you'd be out there and there's no work, you start to plan for the following day, and you couldn't wait for the following day. Excitement, twenty four seven. That's not one I like answering because I left under a shadow. An English company bought over our company and they changed everything about the docks that was sacred. Rules 
regulations that were Irish that worked for us were now deemed to be uh, insufficient. We had to go by UK rules which were and standards which weren't anywhere near as good as our own. Didn't work or didn't work here. It uh, may have worked for them over there, I don't know. But um, the having been trusted by your employer for forty something years to be told that your opinion no longer matters is it's a sickener for me anyway. I, uh, I I would deem myself to be someone that worried and cared about the place all the time. But to be told now your opinion doesn't matter, you're, the only thing that matters from you is that you turn up, say nothing and do what you're told. That's like working for somebody with no face, where we were brought up through a system where you knew and saw both your foreman and superintendent and you knew everyone. It's like, even though we were always arguing, it was a family argument. I miss the family. I don't miss the, the hassle. 